Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello, Austria. Welcome to My Millennial Money. We've got a banger of an episode today, so we're going to get right into it. I'm going to first welcome John and Vince Scully. Hi, John. How's things? I'm, Hi, I'm good. Welcome, Hi, Vince. Vince. Thanks for coming back, Vince. A bit of a trip up to the coast. Vince drove up to the sunny coast, everyone. And it's great to have Vince as a returning guest to the podcast. Now, Correct. this is how we're going to pluck this chicken today. I first and foremost want to say that, you know, we're going to cover a lot of ground and there is no way on the planet that we can actually scratch everyone's individual itch. So, we just want you to get encouraged and just get the brain juices flowing about how you can apply what we've talked about to your situation yeah. and ultimately go and get some advice if you need it. So, that's basically what I want to say. But there's going to be basically six sections that we're going to talk about. And the first one, we'll all have our initial thoughts on the topic each, like pay off mortgage versus invest. Then I want John to chat about using equity in your property to invest or another property. Then I'm going to throw over to Vince and ask him just to explain what debt recycling is and how it works. And thirdly, or fourthly, we're going to talk about mortgage structures. Fifthly, if that's a word, we're going to talk about future considerations. So, what if you're rent vesting or if this is your forever home? Then we'll we'll round it out with some advantages of either paying down the mortgage or investing. And then we'll just read some comments from the Facebook group. So, we can't do this podcast without Sun Super. And SunSuper takes responsible investing very seriously. They have a practical approach to ESG investing and have a specific socially conscious balanced investment options. And the returns are pretty decent as well. I've got some of my super in that option myself. Now, John, do you remember what ESG stands for? Uh, yes. Awesome. Can you remind John? It stands for Environmental, Social and Governance. Yes. I'm not really sure I understand what all that means, but it's code for ethical. Yes. Ethical investing. <laughs> and if you want to learn more about Sun Super's ethical investment option, uh, you can look at the episode we did with Stuart Wilson, who's the head of their ethical investment team. Uh, and that's episode 324 on the podcast. Good memory. Great memory. And for those of you from the UK, ethics is not the county next to politics. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got the house, you're living in mortgage land. What do you do with the extra money? Do you put it on your mortgage or do you choose to invest it? In today's episode, M3 regular Vince Scully joins Glenn and John for a deep dive conversation about what you need to consider before making a decision. So we'll start this topic of pay off the mortgage versus invest. Vince, two minute opening statements to the judge and jury, pay off my mortgage or invest? Yes, it depends, maybe. Um, 
You're so helpful. Yeah. <laughs> no, to be, to be serious, the, there is no one answer to that. The way I look at it is that in general, investing will get you a better return over time than paying off your home loan. Because your home loan today is 2.83%, um, whereas you know, historically the Australian Stock Exchange has returned 10%. Now, obviously, that 3% is after tax and the 10% is before tax. But still, over time, mathematically, you will generally be better off investing. Now, the thing that would suggest that you might not invest is if you've got a, a new home loan, it's a high percentage of the value of your property, or your payments are a big chunk of your income. So generally, I would suggest that most people should focus on their home loan whilst their loan-to-value ratio is above 70 and the payments are more than 30% of their income. Mm. Once you get below both of those thresholds, now it's time to at least put some towards investing. Thanks for those opening remarks. Um, John? (laughs) Thank you, Vince. So I just want to start by saying good debt versus bad debt. So I, for the for the purpose, I refer bad debt as your own mortgage and it's not because it's not income producing, we can't get any tax benefits from it versus good debt where we can borrow money for income producing assets. So I think the answer, if you gave me a, a – give me a one-word answer, I would say both. So I would say – That's sort of the same thing. Yeah, pay down – your mortgage, because that's your bad debt. You need to focus on that. But at the same time, have the ability to draw out equity to go and invest and diversify your assets over time. And and I always look at it personally as I want to be doing four things at the same time. Pay down bad debt, increase cash flow in my life, minimize my taxes, increase assets. So I'm putting a focus on all those four at any one time. I agree with that part, Vince, that says if I've got a high mortgage that's maybe over 30% of my total, then I need to get that down in the short term, um, but still keep our eye on that diversification. Yeah. I think that diversification is the key to that. Yeah. It's the only free lunch when it comes to finance. Yeah. Totally. I guess my opening remarks are, I think for the purpose of this episode, uh, because investing, it's it could be two-prong or three-prong. Mm-hmm. So it's not only paying down the mortgage versus investing. When we talk about investing, it then leads to what tax structure yeah. and what type of investment. So yeah. for the purpose of this episode, I just want everyone to maybe think about doing something other with your money or doing yeah. something else with your money. And we're going to do another episode with Vince about um, particularly should we invest inside super or outside super and maybe chat about some other investment options as well. So yeah, uh, that's all I would say. And I guess my following uh, kind of remarks, and it's a question for us here today about rules of thumb, and Vince mentioned some rules of thumb, and if I had a, a brush stroke, you know, brush, what do they call it, broad brush stroke, mm-hmm. maybe around age 40 is an age where might be more opportune to start looking at the future because you're more settled into your life. And by looking at the future, it might mean investing into super because you've, you may have got the LVR down a little bit. You may have got your life established and you may need access to that money, albeit on an offset account or a redraw or something like that. Yes. I mean, this is a trade-off between 
mathematical efficiency and flexibility and diversification. That, you know, mathematically the answer is you should invest and other people's money is the best money to invest with. Yeah. Is but, your name Robert Kiyosaki? <laughs> <laughs> OPM? <laughs> but it does create inflexibility in your life because obviously the more debt you got, the more necessary your day job becomes and you lose the flexibility that would be useful, particularly as you're younger. And, yeah, I guess the implications of those sort of, you know, so if, if some is good, more isn't always better. Mm. I think it also comes down to the the cash flow or the yield of your investments, though, doesn't it? Like it I, does. I see a lot of people tie themselves in knots because they've gone for that capital growth paid no respect to cash flow and as a result their lifestyle suffers yep. or, or they have to sell properties or, or whatever it is and um, back to square one again. Exactly. Now, John, if we can use this as a bit of a transition because I think an overarching thing that we've all kind of uh, talked about uh, and I'll call it out as the elephant in the room and that's mindset and risk profile. Mm-hmm. Now, someone may have grown up mm-hmm. in a working class family and mum and dad, all they did was just pump the mortgage and we never had any investment property because that was for wealthy people or, sure. or whatever that mindset is. So, John, if we talk now about using either equity in our property or not paying down the mortgage to invest in property, uh, because Emma Russell wrote, and she's a new member of the Facebook group, so welcome, she wrote, are you better off paying down a mortgage ASAP or spending the equivalent amount on two mortgages? i.e. a second property, if their repayments are within your means. So talk to us if there was a new listener about uh, they've got their mortgage Mm. and I think it's safe to assume that you probably need to get your goals in order before you worry about should I get a house or a mortgage or invest? Like we're kind of talking if you do already have a mortgage. Mm. Um, So just talk conceptually, new listener, they've grown up in a place where there's been no investment properties or no investing. Yeah. So talk about the investment property and the first things that someone should consider. Yeah. Risk profile is a big part of that, isn't it? Like if you if you haven't known anyone that's invested and they've just purely grown up in the environment of pay down your own home and that's all, live happily ever after, contribute to super, then it's very hard to get out of that web, I suppose, and, and go it alone. So I, I think getting educated in that space to understand how that conceptually works. But going back to my initial statement of bad debt versus good debt, I think in Emma's example, you can actually do both. If she if she is paying down her own mortgage um, and then have the ability to draw some equity out to go and invest, all that there's two things that stop people. It's mindset and, and uh, finances. So if she's got the ability to have equity and the banks to lend her money, she needs to analyse the cash flow of what that investment property might look like. And if that's taken care of itself, which in a lot of cases in today's investing it is because interest rates are so low, then the risk is actually quite low. But it's perceived risk that stops a lot of people from doing that. Yeah. And I think a lot of like people can't get their mind around it. And it's totally okay because I was there once, you know, you who are listening were probably there once. Mm. You guys were probably there once. Like, how do I, how can I afford this? And I've heard people that get a big tax return at the end of the year because of the tax efficiencies. I always lean back to, if you get the right advice, you might be able to tweak your tax Mm -hmm. withholding from your employer 
So instead of getting 10 grand back at the end of the year, yeah. you get a $200 back each week sure. to help with that cash flow. Mm. And, and I think I gave the example a few weeks ago where we've got a client at the moment who's paying down their own mortgage. Mm-hmm. Their, their own mortgage is quite comfortable, um, but they're also paying principal and interest on their investment property. In a in a time where there's dual income coming from those that property, uh, but interest rates being so low means that they're doing both of them quite comfortably. So yeah, everyone's situation is different, but mm. I, I don't think there's been a better time in my investing to take advantage of of um, diversifying assets and paying down mortgages because your interest rates are so low. Yeah, it's it's a good point, and we will move fast through these just to kind of set the scene, and then we can get a bit more into some free talk. Jack O'Brien in the group says thoughts on debt recycling. So we actually haven't really touched this topic before on the podcast, but in the simplest of terms, Vince, how would you explain debt recycling to somebody with a mortgage? Yeah, I've always thought it was a very bit of a strange expression, but it's used to refer to, um, let's say you've saved $10,000 and you want to invest and you've got a home loan. You, you have two choices. You can take your $10,000 and whack it straight in your ComSec account and buy some shares. Or you could take the $10,000 and pay down your home loan and then redraw it to invest in the shares. So now what you've done is you've taken your cash, you've reduced your non-deductible debt because you don't get a tax deduction for interest on your home loan. And then you've reborrowed the money and so you're now going to get a tax deduction on the interest on that $10,000. So after tax, your net income is higher. Um, now, there's a few tricks and traps to doing that. Obviously, you need to make sure that it's very clearly identified that this cash was you know, drawn from your home loan and paid directly to ComSec and not parked in your offset account where it just gets muddied with everything else. Yeah, and, and that speaks to getting the right advice. And if, you know, if we turn it up a notch from 10 grand to 50 grand- sure. Or 100 you, grand. Or yeah. 100 grand, yeah. you would obviously want to speak to your mortgage broker to set up a separate mortgage. Yeah, or a separate split. Or a separate yeah. split, sorry, yeah. yeah. But but that's an interesting point. You, you made the point earlier about stuff being cash flow positive, given that interest rates are so low. I think you've got to look at that separate from this funding decision. So if I've- got $100,000 as a deposit on an investment property and I take that $100,000 and pay off my home loan and now I'm borrowing the whole $500,000 for the new property, I might look at that $500,000 against the income of the property and the property on its own, because it's 100% debt funded, looks like it's not cash flow positive. So Mm. I think you do have to divorce the investment decision from the funding decision. Totally. And at the end of the day, all property is cash flow positive as long as it's got a tenant. The thing that absorbs the rest of the money is the funding cost. So if your net debt doesn't change, you've got to be careful about taking that analysis and say, just because I took my $100,000 and parked it in my home loan and then borrowed the whole $500,000 to buy my investment property may create a negatively geared position, but it doesn't change the fundamentals of the investment. No, and that that's it's an important point. You've you've definitely got to understand what your strategy is to begin yeah. with. Tax is never the sole focus or the number one focus in my mind. That's right. You n- never let the the tax tail wag the investment dog. Yeah, mm. that's right. A yeah. woof woof. Yeah. Now, 
I want to dig deeper on this debt recycling thing because sure. there is a lot of chatting. So we'll we'll assume that we've had extra cash or equity in our home. We've set up a separate split of yep. one hundred thousand dollars. Now we take that borrowed money, now borrowed yep. money because we've converted it into a borrowed money. Yep. Invest that into equities. Now, traditionally, uh, advisors who recommend this stuff might use in, uh, companies that have a high dividend payment, mm-hmm. traditionally. And the reason why the dividends from the shares get paid back onto the home mortgage. Is that, yep. Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just getting the godfather to double check my- <laughs> And then basically what happens- you, some of the dividends would be franked dividends. So, some of the taxes have already been paid on that mm-hmm. money. So, you don't get double taxed. So, there might be a higher tax return. But also, you're claiming a tax deduction on the borrowed money for sure. the investing. And then along the same lines, you're hoping that the underlying companies are increasing in value as well. Yeah. And yeah. I, th- I think that's the main strategy for a lot of people is they want their investments to go up in value, don't they? Yeah, and I think we need to be careful about, and this comes back to your point about positively give property, mm. that structuring or trying to structure the investment based on the cash flow is important for sustainability because obviously cash helps you stay in the market, but it's a dangerous road to flow when you use it to choose the investment. So buying, take your share example, choosing to buy high dividend payers is not necessarily a winning strategy. No. Sure, it helps with the cash flow and cash flow is important in staying in, but it may not be the best underlying investment. And yeah. certainly if you compare you know, the high-yielding Australian shares, say Vanguard's VHY, for example, or AFIC, um, which are both dividend plays largely, to the SX200 as a whole, they've generally underperformed. But that's only because you haven't added back any dividends as an accumulation index comparison. Would no, that be correct? No, on an accumulation basis, um, that would be true. But the accumulation basis doesn't account for the franking credits because all these indices, indices, indexes are um, a pre-tax. Are calculated on a pre-tax yeah. basis. I love it because we're going a bit deeper here now, which is <laughs> which is awesome. In my world, that's the equivalent of going to a really small regional town with a high cash flow, exactly, and and maybe not getting the capital growth out of it, but coming back with the original strategy. What was the intention for that particular asset? It might have been high yielding, high cash flow as as the goal, because I've got a, a few other assets over here that are maybe a capital growth strategy instead of sure, cash that's flow. Sure, that's back to diversification, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, and particularly with, you know, once you get above a sort of a normal yield, so somewhere between three and six maybe, once you get above that, you really got to be asking some serious questions. Yeah. Um, and yeah. certainly we were getting those sort of yields in uh, mining towns. That's right. In some regional centres, but it's generally unsustainable or yeah. it's high because there's no capital growth. Yeah, and and I think at time in life is really Sorry, important. I'm not trying to teach a, a real estate guy real estate. No, no, it's awesome. I love thrashing this stuff out because mm. we had a situation where we bought in Western Sydney in 2012. It was already a 5% gross yield. 
property was looking after itself and we identified that that was a pretty good time to buy in that region, right? Now, I wouldn't live there myself, but I thought it was a pretty good investment. So fast forward four or five years, the property's cost nothing to hold and it's gone up in value. Like that's the ultimate in, in property, I think. However, if you haven't got your eye on both of those two as a strategy, then you can be left out in the water without a paddle. Yeah, mm. and I think you've also got to look at where or within the suburb where you are relative to the median in that suburb. Yes. So if you go, you, know, you might decide that Milson's Point was a good, a good buy, but if you're going to buy something that's very expensive there, you'll get a lower yield mm. and the suburbs generally move together. Yeah. Still on the debt recycling thing into equities, I'm yep. just kind of writing some notes here and probably more for Vince yep. because I'll be the first to say I, I've, I never use this strategy in my financial planning practice mm-hmm. just because it takes a particular type of risk profile yep. to be able to do that. Uh, and that's I personally do not do it in you know the traditional sense because of a few reasons of why you wouldn't, uh, which we'll get to. But when do you think it would be suitable to consider such a strategy and when do you think it wouldn't be suitable? Can I just take you up on that risk attitude point? I think there's three aspects to to risk. There's your predisposition to accept risk, and some people are inherently more tolerant of risk and uncertainty. There's your ability to withstand the risk. So if the risk does turn up and you do or lose a ton of money, um, what's your capacity to recover? And then the one that gets forgotten in all of this is your level of understanding of the risk. And and I wrote that actually just as you're talking, there should be an educational yeah. and, foundation and, to this. Yeah. Yeah. And the most, what's the worst that can happen? So many people, well, I was going to say walk into my office, but my virtual office, yeah. say I'm risk averse, I want to invest in property. And yet the, you know, so you're quite happy to borrow 80% or 90% of the purchase price and buy something that's worth more than your net worth and has a risk that's greater than a diversified pool of ASX 200 shares. But it's perceived as being low risk because it's real. You can touch it. You can drive by. You can paint the walls. Property never falls in value. Well, sometimes it does. Um, Ask that to the people who bought three properties up uh, in the Hunter Valley in their super fund. Yeah. (laughs) Or in 1890, it took till 1962 for Australian real estate prices to recover in real quality adjusted terms. Now, we haven't seen that in 40 years and I'm not in the business of predicting. Um, I thought you were. That's why you're here. (laughs) All right, let's wrap this up. Yeah, that's But I'm in the business of planning, preparing and protecting. Totally. And both real estate and shares have a place in almost everybody's wealth creation strategy. Absolutely. The question is how much of each and when and um, making sure that you actually do understand the risk that you're taking. But getting back to your point, it would be a good strategy for people who have some equity in their properties. So they've had their home for a while and they've, built up a bit of equity either by the property value rising or by their repaying the debt. They've got good stable incomes and they don't go too far into it. And there are ways of doing it. So you can either you know, draw down on your home loan and borrow it. You can invest in um, 
there are some funds now that will allow you to have a geared investment, i.e. the fund includes some borrowing insight, and that can be an inexpensive way of doing it. And well, then you're getting into, um, well, here's a wild one, set up your mortgage or set up a split, mm. so you've got borrowed money, mm. and then borrow or invest in a fund that has internal gearing and double gear. I mean, it's a... Wild ride. I've got, I've got two words for that. Storm financial. <laughs> yeah. Google it. <laughs> and that's why I said it's wild and I kind of made this um, on the video rocking like yeah. I'm on a But that does come back to our point about <laughs> debt recycling. Yeah. So if you have $10,000 to invest, it's not an unreasonable tactic to take that 10 and borrow another 10. So the fact that you've taken the 10 and paid it off your home loan and now you're borrowing 20 doesn't change the risk profile. Hmm. You've got to mentally separate these two debts. Yeah. But it doesn't make it riskier just because you've recycled the debt. But you've you've lowered you've lowered your bad debt in the in the process, haven't you? Yeah. I must admit, I'm not a fan of this bad debt, good debt. Neither am I. And I always I always pull John up and say all debt's bad. If I Well, no, I, no, I, I, I look at no. there's three categories. If of I debt. had a choice of not having debt, I know what I would take. <laughs> um there are three categories of debt in my book. There's red debt, which is the bad stuff, and that usually comes from spending more than you earn, which is usually credit cards and personal loans, which mm. typically also have high interest rates. And then there's what I call amber debt, which is sort of neither good nor bad and is largely around spreading the cost of an asset over the period you're going to use it, like your home and your car. And hex or help? I put hex in the next category, Ooh. the green category. Oh, wow! Which is the deductible debt, or good debt mm-hmm. in your sense? And I guess green, good. Yeah, yeah. Hex that it's generally around improving either your financial capital or your human capital. Yeah. And the red ones are obviously your number one priority. Yeah, we're not running red lines, and they're the hardest ones because you've got them because you've been spending more than you're in. So you actually have to have a double. You've a double whammy to get over. You've got to reduce your spending so you're not making them bigger, and then you've got to start attacking. So it's them. almost like cons- like uh, greedy consumption, overconsumption <laughs> debt, <laughs> lifestyle debt, your home, yeah, and I, then growth debt. Yeah, I think yeah. more about spreading the cost. Mm. That it would be ridiculous to suggest that you can pay for something you're going to consume over thirty years in one month. That's just a ridiculous nonsense. So. The choice to buy a home is really a choice to fix your housing cost. It may or may not be a good investment, but that's not the point of the purchase. The purchase is to fix your short position, that we become adults short real estate because we have to have somewhere to live. And so by buying, we're fixing that cost with the added plus that when you're finished using it, it's still got some value. And that value may be more or less than you paid for it. Mm. I'd play more. Mm. That's a good point. Historically, so, it's been worth more. Yeah. So th- what I take about uh, from that, for example, when you wouldn't maybe do the debt recycling mm. traditional strategy, if you don't have any intentions to be in that house for maybe 10 years or a bit longer term, would that be correct? Because you start moving around mortgages, it can just start to get a bit hectic. And if you need to upgrade the house and they go, well, you need to sell down some shares to make this happen, like yeah, it's just do- more moving parts. And that sort of comes back to my point about not doing it until you've got your home loan under control. So mm. if you're close to that 80% mark, 
and property prices happen to fall or you your income falls, refinancing your home loan is going to become potentially problematic and that might trigger a sale if you need to move for work, for example. Yeah, sorry. so just for the listeners, 80% you're meaning loan-to-value ratio? Yes, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so uh, absolutely, totally agree with you. You don't want to be going too deep into that mortgage territory. My last question on the debt recycling thing, and we have camped here for a bit because it's, I find it interesting to discuss anyway, and I'm sure you do too. If you did do that hundred grand second mortgage split or whatever you want to call it, would you be more inclined to just pump that into a managed fund or a individual stock portfolio? I know uh, what I would probably uh, I mean, do. I think diversification is the key. Yeah, absolutely. You pump it into your studio. <laughs> you buy some more lights. Yeah, um, basically. So diversification is a key. Now, whether you achieve that diversification by buying 20, 30, 40, 50 different shares or you buy a managed investment fund or you buy an index fund or an LIC is less important, but diversification is the key. And we yeah. know that the volatility of an ASX 200 portfolio geared 50-50 is less than a single residential property in Australia. How much focus do you put on someone being um, educated or taking an interest in that particular asset class? Sometimes too much interest can actually be dangerous Yeah, because people who have a little bit of knowledge start wanting to become hands-on. I'm sure you see this in real estate yeah. where people go, oh, maybe I should be painting it. Maybe I should be building yeah, a granny flat out the back. And you start getting these emotional reactions. Um, emotions are the enemy when it mm. comes to success with investment. And love what? <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about tax. Let's so talk about tax, Let's baby. talk about tax, baby. A little strategy, and I know a lot of self-employed builders do this. Mm. I'm not going to comment on why they do it, uh, but they may renovate their principal place of residence. <laughs> then they might move on, sell it, and do it again. So- Talk to us about renovating your home as a quote-unquote investment with the view that this is an asset that I can spend 50 grand on it, get it revalued, and it's now worth an extra 110 grand because I know that if I sell this asset being my home, there's no capital gains tax. So I'm just going to throw that out onto the floor if anyone wants any comments on that. I think it's dangerous mixing consumption with investment, that this notion that your home is an investment is sort of a nonsense because you will you can never realise the gain because the gain is really just future rent. So if you buy a property for $500,000 and in 10 years' time it's worth a million dollars, that just reflects the fact that the rent's doubled. So... Whilst it's a store of value that you can access to do other things with, you still need somewhere to live. So unless you're going to move to a regional centre and buy a cheaper house, you never actually can take that money out. So the the notion of treating you, – you've got to stop thinking of your home as an investment. But I think what Glenn's, Glenn's example is more the case of – and I use the builder. They buy something – add value to it on the cheap. Yep. Uh, it increases in value. They sell it. They avoid capital gains tax because it's their principal yep. place of residence. They repeat that two or three times to the point where they're buying their uh, forever home yep. with no debt. Yep. Is that fair? Yeah. It, and it I, is. And I, the problem with that strategy is the 
getting your money where you get your honey. Um, and mm, keep talking, baby. <laughs> I like <laughs> when you talk down to What I mean by that is a builder's livelihood is fundamentally dependent on the real estate market. And so by investing in the same place where you get your income, you're doubling down. And I see this a lot with um, people who work in finance, um, particularly stockbrokers. They end up with these portfolios full of speculative floats that because they, they're involved in because it too they much. they believe they start to believe their own Kool Aid. Yeah, and you see it with real estate agents too. Most real estate agents have property portfolios, but Lo- local to where they operate. exactly. Yeah, so you right. just double down, mm. and whilst yeah. and it works until it doesn't work. Yeah, and I think. Your point's a good one in respect to – it really comes back to emotion, doesn't it? It they're, does. They're getting emotionally involved in that strategy. I've spoken to a lot of clients who are builders who have done this and done it well, but I've also spoken to others who don't do it well because it affects their lifestyle because mm. they're having to do things on weekends and they're yeah. – it's, it's, They live in a half-renovated house for five years. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we're sort of putting out builders here for the moment, but – I think the other implication is, or the other thing that needs to be factored in is what's our cost to purchase and what's our cost to sell. And, so, and, and I, I wrote in my notes, you know, a lot of these things when people get their bit of paper out, they don't factor in stamp duty on the way in somewhere else. Yeah. So you're factoring in your stamp duty on the way in, you're factoring in your, your agent's fees on the way out. So when you look at the net position, is it actually a worthwhile um, transaction when you actually take into account the hours that that yeah. builder, especially if you're a builder in. and you could be spending those hours fixing up someone else's house at fifty bucks an hour, correct? Or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, it, I think it, a lot of it's illusory that you've got to. A lot of the gain comes from the market moving while you've held the property. Totally. And if you want to go down the um, the sh- uh, the straight shooter line, uh, it's possibly questionably illegal if they are burying costs in their business. For their principal place of residence. Yeah, I wasn't even I wasn't even going there, but yeah. No, but if I yeah. want to really pick it out, yeah. they're they're trying. To, you know, it's a gaming of the system, which you know, it's whatever. I'm not here to to judge. I'm just making a comment. Yeah. Um, but it, it is very difficult to do a a buy cosmetic renovate sell and make money unless the market moves around you. Yeah, in a flat market, it's it's very very hard. Mm. But it speaks to like other business owners. Where and I, I've known of a handful where oh my retirement is my business and getting to the pointy end of the stick, they haven't invested outside the business mm. and then they find out we well, can't sell the business and it was worth four hundred grand less than That's what we right. thought it was. Yeah. So or or you've got a tourism business and COVID hits the year you want to retire. Yeah. And yeah, gosh, talk about having all your eggs in the one basket. Yeah, and it's not a judgy comment to people because I really do feel like I don't. I, I don't know if we could actually stomach what what it would be like to wake up one morning and say no income, like on an emotional level, mm. like because it hasn't happened to me, and yeah, I'm, I just thoughts for anyone. My thoughts are with anyone out there that are mm. in that situation. There's an interesting question here, and we might touch on it more next episode, and I might leave it as a comment. Uh, and Hannah Bird asks extra super contributions versus paying down the mortgage. Uh, versus pumping the offset, uh, like or pumping the offset, especially considering we are likely to approach the maximum concessional 
cap later in our career if we haven't already. Uh, so less chance to pump pre-tax super later. Did I make that sound weird? Yeah, I mean, there's a few things happening there. There's the basic question about whether <laughs> amongst you, you sounding <laughs> weird. <laughs> yeah. Basic question about whether you should pay off your home loan or invest in super which is sort of one step further than the pay off your home loan or invest. Yeah. And we'll dig down deep yeah. next episode. And then the next question is the timing of those, that there is an annual cap on how much you can put into super. And thankfully now they've got the bring... The bring the forward bring or forward, carry forward. Rule. Carry forward, yeah. sorry, yeah. Um, that is particularly useful um, for women who often take time out and being able to catch up on previous years. But we've only got one or two years that it applies to so far. Yeah, because it will ratchet up to yeah. a five years look yeah. back. Yeah. So I guess for those who just glossed over there, <laughs> basically you can put 25K a year uh, as a deductible contribution to your super each year. Including the in, bit that your employer puts in. in yeah. Which includes the 9.5%. Yeah. So basically if you don't use all of that 25K in four years' time, you can look back at the last three or four years or up to five years and bring use the, the cap. Yeah. Now, it'll be interesting to see, Vince, what will happen with federal budgets going forward post-COVID uh, with stuff like this, but it's certainly up our sleeve. And the only comment I would make on that is that, you know, concessional contribution caps uh, have only ever come down. You know, it started at 50K, then I think it went to 30. Well, it used to be infinite well yeah i'm not that old vince <laughs> um but under the new super system yep. uh was it 50k yeah it started at 50 yeah and then that's why it's good to get vince on yeah right? that's right yeah <laughs> uh and then it went down to 30 i think as a transition and then 25 now the question is in 10 years time is it going to be 20 or 18 yeah well although i think the bigger issue now if rather than the tw- the 25 affects individual years. But if you look at it over a career, the 1.6 million total super balance anyway. is actually going to get you overall. So if you put in 25 every year, you're going to easily go beyond that. Yeah. So even people on moderate incomes contributing every year for 40 years will get awfully close to that 1.6 cap. So what Vince is saying there, everyone, is the government have changed the rules again. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. That if you, basically, if you've got $1.6 million in your super fund and you retire tomorrow, you can have that $1.6 million growing at 0% tax rate. But there's another $1.6 that's relevant here, and that is once you, hit, once you hit $1.6 in total superannuation balance, you can no longer make contributions or deductible contributions. Yes, but I think it's a bigger issue for future planning that, for my example, once you get over the 1.6, they will start charging you 15% tax except, on you can, except you can't get over one point. Well, you can only get over 1.6 from earnings now. Yes. So the 1.6 balance transfer, or transfer cap, okay. which you've just mentioned, is relevant to those whose balances is greater than 1.6. You can only bring 1.6 into pension space. So, yeah. So, and yeah, 1.6 million in super is a very good retirement. I was mm. going to say, it's not a bad yeah. outcome. But anyway, and there's I, not that many people actually get there. I don't mm. want to go down that rabbit hole, but um, I want to talk about now, and we'll just have a look at the clock here. We might just go for another 10 or 15 minutes. Let's talk about mortgage structures. So, how would you guys propose, and I've just 
I've got some examples here. If someone did want to just go, you know what, I get what you guys are saying, but my goal is to, uh, you know, we're a, a dink, you know, dual income, no kids. Uh, we're just going to pump this mortgage and be debt free by the time we're 30. Then we're going to have kids. Then mum or dad can be a full-time parent or mm-hmm. whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if we are going down that approach, what are we doing in terms of how we structuring the mortgage and then how are we going to structure the mortgage if we do want to maybe invest as opposed to pay down more? So two separate yeah. questions. Yeah, I mean, is, yeah. There, is there different ways to structure the mortgage or is, it, is there a catch-all healthy structure that gives us most flexibility? Look, I, first of all, Vince, I would just say you need to be looking at principal and interest with an offset account. You'd ideally have multiple offsets so that if you have got some kids' funds or some holiday funds or some other goals, other other issues that you want to save for, that you that's also helping offset the interest you've got on your mortgage. But just making extra repayments and and paying that down as as quick as possible, and then assessing that every twelve months to see whether it's still competitive, uh, because it, lending conditions are always changing. Banks are always have a different appetite from time to time. So just continually keeping it front of mind and not going three or four years without checking would be your simple approach, I think. Yeah, and, and I, I think I generally agree with that, that the offset account is a useful tool and in many cases will be a better answer than actually making additional repayments. The one proviso I would make in that, though, is that if you're starting out and you don't have you know, ten or $20,000 sitting around, the offset will usually cost you more than it will save in tax. Because the banks charge a fee for the so if facility? You're, so if you're paying $350 a year for your package loan to get yep. your offset and account, your fee. Um, you really need to be keeping you know, $10,000, $15,000 in the account to earn back the $350 fee. Um, but obviously once you get above that amount, then it makes a lot of sense. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so for example... So, so for our starting out first home buyer, you'll usually be better off in the first year or two going for a no-frills fixed rate. Pay right down. The, the only... If, if you wanted to do something in the next two to three years, that might be, and you wanted to keep that cash liquid, that's where you might have that offset, even if you was costing you $350 well, Why don't you year. just put in a high-interest saving account? Well, it, it's because that, that's just a tax arbitrage, and if it's costing you three fifty a year or two ninety nine or whatever the annual package fee is, yeah, you need ten to twenty thousand dollars on deposit all year for that to be the tax difference. Yeah. So why bother? Yeah. Okay, I would throw one more comment in there. What if somebody um, did the Glenn James spending plan? and they're going to get a mortgage and they go, look, we want to do better with our money. So we want to set up some offset accounts Mm -hmm. just so we can quarantine our money. We don't have three different online saver accounts with different banks. And the fact that they've got the offset facilities, quarantine their money would allow them to actually save more anyway in their life than not having the offset account. So I'm not sure what the difference between an offset account and a high interest saving account apart from the tax. But you, I suppose, I get what you're saying, Glenn, and, and I would Well, take- a high interest, I guess what I'm saying is a high interest online savings account generally doesn't have an account in BSB that you can pay money into and use as a cash hub type scenario. 
you can't really use them as a transactional account where you can. But it, it's that's just drives your threshold. So if the, if you're earning zero interest on your transaction account compared to earning in effect the mortgage rate after tax in an offset account, you still have to have a sizable balance to pay for a three hundred dollar annual fee. That's the only point I'm making. Yeah. That if you think you're getting an offset account because you're saving all this tax, well, actually, you need a decent balance to pay for the fee. Yeah, I, I'm probably wouldn't be saying to get an offset account to save all this tax, quote unquote, more just to quarantine our money, have good behaviours and structure in place yeah, totally. that will help our behaviour to save more money anyway. Yeah, I'm just not. Yeah, don't, I don't quite see the difference between, apart from the tax, a um, the difference between. Uh, and a bank account and an offset account. Yeah, yeah, it's just a psyche of yeah. of how people. But are I think you, I mean you're right that you do need to get into the habits, and I'm sure everyone who does the Glenn James spending plan. Oh, is, I love it when you talk a, to uh, me like that. <laughs> is is a guru at money? Yeah, I won't touch on principal and interest now, other than to say I'm not touching on it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, like for me personally, all I never my, touch my principal. No. <laughs> Um, do you have principles? What? Um, I, <laughs> I've got an exam that says I'm ethical. Yeah, that's right. I personally have my principal place of residence and my investment property on principal and interest mm-hmm. only because the interest rate was cheaper and it's for savings. And if money's in my life, not attributed to anything, it grows legs. That's yep. basically my comment on that. Um, and, in okay, most, and in most cases, paying the premium, now that interest only comes at a higher interest rate than principal and interest, you do need to think very carefully about what I'm getting for this excess. And on your home, there's very little reason why you should go interest only and you certainly shouldn't be paying more for it. Mm. There are a couple of obscure circumstances, but for the- It could be some short-term strategy and whatnot. Yeah, Yeah. start a new business, need cash flow, whatever. Or about to sell it or about to rent it out. Yeah. Um, But generally, the extra 0.3 to 0.5% you pay today for interest only- you really got to be getting something special to pay that. Yeah, well, I think the the question comes, and it's really a personalised answer around this: is principal and interest on all properties versus principal and interest on your owner rock and interest only on the others when they are tax deductible, or interest only on your debt recycling split? Yeah, yeah, which is essentially what what I'm saying. So, mm. yeah, my preference would probably personally be towards the latter, where your interest only and you're highly focused principal and interest, exactly. putting all funds towards that, what I call bad debt. Yeah. And five years ago, this was a no-brainer that you you would absolutely do that because yeah. you didn't pay a premium for interest only. And at the right rate, you might actually structure that recycling account as a line of credit, mm. subject to, yeah, depending on how much extra. And making sure you, you got pay. your accounting in order. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the, the difference between principal and interest and interest only is actually um, shortened the gap in the last 12 months as well. Like it did it, blow out quite a bit. Yeah. So just, again, keeping an eye on what yeah. that's doing is key. I'll finish on the mortgage structures. For example, uh, the house that I live in, uh, there's an intention that I'll never sell the house and it will be a, an investment property longer term when I outgrow it. Um, when you move into an aged care home. When I move into an aged care home. Thanks, Vince. I've got an offset account. I'll see you there. I, play, I pay principal and interest mm-hmm. onto the offset account. Uh, onto the mortgage and I've got a savings account on the offset with the lion's share of my wealth yeah. just sitting there at the moment. So that's kind yeah. of... Yeah. And generally in, when it comes to your home, 
you need to pay the debt off by the time you retire. Totally. So if you're buying a, a new home at 40 when you have number three kid, although the bank will give you a 30-year loan, you need to you know, be have a plan that says this debt is gone by the time I retire. Now that plan, Exit strategy, that, the banks call that, it. Yeah. Well, at forty, at forty, you sort of sneak in without <laughs> yeah, an exit plan. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Which is why I chose forty. But you still need to have, and that strategy might be: oh, I'm going to pay it down to a hundred thousand dollars, and then I'm going to sell up and move to Blue Bay. Lovely place. Now, if I can use that as a segue to future considerations, I guess when I was a financial planner and we were doing planning, were financial planning oh, once a million years ago. I think you were financial planner of the year, maybe. Hey, yes, true. I don't like to Can blow you my change own. your status, please? No. I, um, <laughs> so, with more senior clients, if you will. So, particularly- over, Old blokes like me. Yes. Particularly Vince, Vince over, equivalents. over 55s, for example, mm-hmm. you really get to- Young blokes. S- Is that you? No, yeah. they're young blokes, 55. You really get to the sweet spot of options and flexibility. And I don't love financial modeling because- assumptions really mean nothing. It's like, let's model 25 years at X amount percent. Well, it could change in five years. So, right. who cares? We, we used to have a saying in, in when I worked at investment banking that if you torture the numbers for long enough, they will eventually confess. Yes. So, you can make the numbers tell you whatever you want them yeah. to. Exactly. But I guess what I'm saying with paying off the mortgage versus investing, if you were over 55 and you had a clear, hey, I, I will be stopping working in eight years or 10 years or whatever, a lot of the time with the investing in super, when you model that out, keeping the mortgage on minimum payments, pumping super, and then once they retire from the workforce, withdraw from super tax-free and then clear the mortgage and then a little bit of strategy that oh, way. Oh, absolutely. When, when you're in that stage where you've got the kids and off your hands, you're, you've got a line of sight on on your retirement beach or chair. your beach chair, um, then, yeah, maximizing super. So all of those diversification issues around tax treatment and flexibility of getting access become much less relevant because actually, you know, once you turn 58, 60 ain't that far away. Are you speaking from experience? Speaking from personal experience. Um, I've actually just hit my conditioner release. He has, hasn't he? Have you? Yes. Well done. What's the word? Um, Preservation age. Preservation age, yes. So what about the the risk of, of topping up your super in preparation for retirement in three years, four years' time with an unforeseen GFC COVID hit where super can take quite a hit. Well, that's more a question about what it's invested yeah. in yeah. rather than which container and it's in. So that's right. The super is just a tax structure. Tax haven. Yeah. And the question is, well, once I've got it in the tax haven and I've got all those benefits, now what am I going to invest in? And you might very well choose to put – that bit of it in something cash. pretty stable. Cash, cash. yeah. Yeah, because is- if you were like, all right, we're three years out from the, the line here, so it was like we're going to pump super yeah. just for the tax optimization. Yeah. we'll leave it in cash in the super account. Yes. And then once we get over that line, we, we withdraw that cash tax-free, then clear yeah. the mortgage. So you yeah. could earn 0% interest on it and still be ahead compared to because of the tax saving. Home. That's right. Yeah. 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 Now, on the future considerations – Kathy McDonald said, because I put in the Facebook group that we're doing this episode, ooh, keen for this. This is something that Hubs and I have- Was, dis- was that when you told her I was going to be on? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> this is something Fox. that Hubs and I have been discussing- Hubs. Lately, especially 
as this house isn't our forever home, quote unquote, I think smashing the mortgage on this one shouldn't be a priority because of this fact, but my husband reckons we should because even when we're ready to move on, we can always keep it as an investment property. So, maybe an offset account could scratch both itches. So, Mm. if there's a thought that you might eventually rent it out, then obviously you want to have more of your debt on it. So, in that case, an offset would be a very sensible way of storing this cash. Pull it out. And I just want to talk about um, a little thing called tax evasion for a moment. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at both of you. Yeah, really. So, for example, well, are you suggesting that I'm a tax evader? <laughs> not at all. For example, if an individual had 200 grand, okay, in their bank, or if they got an inheritance, put that money onto their principal place of residence, mm-hmm. then withdrew that money from the mortgage, bought their new home with it, mm-hmm. and then had the existing place as an investment property. They're basically shuffled money for tax reasons. But if they just had the 200 grand sitting on an offset account, it's actually never been committed to that home. Yeah, there's a very famous case around this called the Duke of Westminster Principle, which says that everyone is entitled to arrange their affairs so as to minimise the incidence of tax. Kerry Packer. And Kerry Packer's... um, Famous words. Famous words about anyone who doesn't minimise their tax needs their head read, I think was his exact words. So you are entitled to a range of affairs. What you're not able to do is to create a blatant, contrived and artificial set of circumstances. What was your intention? Yeah. So there's got to be a reason why you're doing it, but clearly something like um, paying off your loan and redrawing it is well within that. Yeah, and I think circumstances in life change, don't they? Mm. So mm. when you've, you're taking something like that into account in the court of law, it's um, yeah. it's reasonable and then, to suggest But don't write change. down that I'm doing this purely because of the tax. Yes, yes. <laughs> no. Now, also with future considerations, I'm just thinking like rent vesting. So let's have the example. We've got a young professional couple who might be living, renting in a capital city. Uh, they've used John's envisage property services and got a a new house and land package out of the city in a good space and they're doing traditional rent vesting. Now, technically they are investing, not paying down the mortgage, but they do have a mortgage. So what are we doing in the case of I'm a rent vester and I have an investment property with a mortgage? Are we still doing P&I on that property or does that come back to strategy and what what are we yeah, doing? Yeah, I think it definitely does come back to strategy. I think they've got to understand what's their next play going to be. Mm. Uh, are they going to continue investing or is it just going to be that investment property and live happily ever after? If it was that, then P&I every day of the week. But I think uh, keeping, up your, keeping your cash for further investing would be my thoughts on that. Yeah. Or buying your home. Or buying your own home. And, and I always say to people, if you haven't got your own home, there's a good chance that one day you will want it, yeah. even if you don't think you want it now. So you've got to be starting to put funds away or allocate funds somewhere for that when the chance may come. And usually it'll come sooner rather than later because family comes along. Yeah. And, and then the truth is that over any long enough period, the fixed, fixed cost option of buying your property will always be cheaper than renting. Over, totally. over sufficiently long period. And yeah, that's, the, just gives that's the catch. And, and do you want to be 70 years old still renting? 
And a lot of people go full I circle don't. with that. Like mm. they, they have the large mortgage and their lifestyle's impacted and they think, well, you know what, I actually want the flexibility of renting and do, I'm going to be doing some travelling and uh, and they actually quite enjoy that because they can choose where they want to live and they can change that up. It just, it just depends on the personality. Exactly, and that's what comes back to circumstances. Yeah. And and it's the long enough period that's the, mm. the tricky bit. So if you're going to yeah. think you're going to move cities or – you're going to meet someone when you travel and move overseas or you're going to have kids and you need a bigger house. They're all reasons why you might not want to buy today. No. And I think I always say property is a long, boring game. It is. So if you're doing too much transacting and you're too emotional about it, there's a fair chance a lot of your profits are going to be eaten up by costs. Yeah. Um, going back to, um, was it Kath? Uh, hubs? Yeah, Kathy. Yeah, so Kathy, like, if Hubs wants to crash down on the mortgage, um, it's not the worst thing you can do mm. because it's it's, yeah, it's actually still okay. taking money out of your life so that you can't go and spend it somewhere else and paying down your debt. So if that's the worst thing that you do, then it's still yeah, okay. That's yeah, right. And then if you want to get an investment property or another property later, we can still structure that's right. things and yeah. cross and, and securitize and, and stuff like that. I mean, that. you've really got to be on the same page when it comes to this yeah. um, because – you, know, you don't have to have one account, but you do need one money system. And if you're not both, you know, so if she beats him up and w- <laughs> wins the argument about metaphorically, saying, metaphorically yes. speaking, she wins the argument that says we should invest and he's not on board, it will never end well because if it goes badly, he'll go, I told you so. And if it goes well, it's just went yeah. well. So yeah. it's, the number one answer to that is be on the same page. And then the second question is, well, what is that page? Yeah. Mm. I want to finish up with what I've written down. And if you guys want to add to this or Can just you write. Sorry? Can you write? Just, just. Typed. Typed. Oh, okay. Yeah, the writing's pretty bad. One finger. I thought I would write advantages of paying down a mortgage and then the advantages of investing and in keeping the mortgage. As is, okay? I think the advantages for myself and if I'm chatting with people generally, um, it might be the emotional feeling that we're debt-free and we don't have a bank in our life anymore and we just, we're happy with our lot in life, which is totally fine. If you just want to uh, pump the mortgage, do your super contributions and then once the mortgage is paid off, then just pump super and keep life simple, Mm -hmm. awesome. Like there's no rules. So simple's good. Um, again, no bank in your life anymore. Money saved can go into further investments. You know, I talk about life is simple. Or perhaps you've been uh, married or partnered up a bit younger. You want to pay down the debt and have a debt-free principal place of residence before you start a family. Mm-hmm. Just as a lifestyle play to make sure one of the uh, partners can stay home and not have to work. So it's all good, whatever you do. Any other quick advantages you could think of or is it more of a lifestyle play? It's a feeling of comfort play, yeah. which is not necessarily supported by the the reality. And this is where you know, the psychology plays again. It feels comfortable, um, but I guess... The, you could be doing your future self a yeah, disservice. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And the, you know, if, you, if you can't answer the question, when I've paid this off... I will do, I will feel, I will be, 
If you can't answer, finish each of those three sentences, it may very well not be the right answer, even mm. though it's the safe answer. Yeah. I thought the advantages of investing and keeping the mortgage as is, number one, there may be tax advantages with investing that accelerate your wealth creation. Simple as that. Even yeah. a salary sacrifice to super, yeah. you've effectively- yeah. And the expected outcome is a higher level of assets. Totally. Right. Totally. O- over most periods, certainly over most periods in the last 40 years, you would have come out ahead mm. on that strategy. Totally. So, you know, pay less tax and the tax that you save is effectively being invested yeah. and growing. Uh, there, there's more than likely a higher- return from your investments than the rates on the interest saved? Yeah, almost or, certainly. Over almost all of the last 40 years, the average return has exceeded the average home loan debt, yep. even in the late 80s. Yeah, you've diversified your wealth into other asset classes. Yep. Like yeah, Diversification is the only free lunch. Mm, totally. This is one that we haven't talked about, um, and I'll leave it out there for everyone to think about in uh, podcast land. What up if you're still watching and listening? <laughs> Possibly, for the business owners, asset protection on your main house if you invest only via super or a trust. So there's a lien on the house by the yep. bank. It's, yeah. it's don't, a, don't try this at home without don't, advice. Don't try this at home, kids. <laughs> but it could be a cheap form of protecting the family home if you get your ass sued because the bank have a lien on it. There's no meat in there for a creditor to come and sell the house from under you because there's no equity there. Yeah, other than the fact that the bank is likely to be the biggest creditor. Yes, yeah. but if you're in a high-risk occupation sure. or – So, and again, that's why I'm just like leaving that. Like a podcast host. Like a podcast host. Yeah. Yeah, so I think with the investing thing, leveraging is the big one for me. Is mm. you, you can leverage yep. you, into assets that are, are far greater than what you could do with your own cash. Mm. And the, the last one, an advantage of investing and keeping the mortgage as is, particularly for the business owners – Kerry, she's a new member of the Facebook group. Hi, Kerry. Thanks for joining us. What if the investment brings passive income quarterly, i.e. silent business partner? I just thought for myself, when I first started my business, part of the strategy was the house on interest only because I want every living cent to go into the business because I knew the business Mm. could do 30% a year and I could grow that up, build wealth. That is the biggest risk for small business people is to – believe I mean sorry it may well be true that that is the best or the highest returning place for your money but higher returns don't always equal better returns and putting all your eggs in the small business basket can be a very dangerous place and to that's be. why when I was under 30 I was I knew it was risky business and I just went at it but obviously all my mortgages are back to principal and interest. I've got an investment property. I've yeah. got business. I've yeah. got super. I've got – so it was very short-term yeah. injection. Yeah, sure. At the beginning, that's, that's yeah. a great strategy. Yeah. But obviously, as time goes by, you need to be taking some money off the table totally. to put in super. Absolutely. Because betting that your business is the thing that's going to fund your retirement mm. when you want to retire is a big punt. Unless yeah. your name's Jeff Bedos. <laughs> yes. 
If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. I want to introduce a new segment to the podcast. We don't know what the segment's called yet, so we're going to ask the Facebook group. We're going to do this once a month, and a lot of people love Vince's sexy, soothing voice. (laughs) We want to do a segment where a financial advisor answers a question. This segment is brought to you by Life Sherpa. It's financial advice for for young people. For young people, and you can go to lifesherpa.com.au. Now, Vince, over to you for your first crack at this new segment. What's the question today? Okay. Well, Barrett writes that her hex will be paid off at the end of the year, and she can't decide if she should put the extra money on her mortgage or salary sacrifice into super. She notes that being female, she's going to be have some time out of the workforce, like a lot of women, and that will leave her behind the eight ball on super contributions. But on the other hand, she's concerned about having access to the cash. Now, Barrett doesn't say how, how old she is or whether she has a home loan. Oh, she says she has a well, she says a mortgage, but we don't know whether she owns her home. So we don't know all of the facts. We need to just look at the broad principles at play here. Um, so she will have some spare cash with her hex paid off. And the question is, well, what do I do? What does she do with that? And she's identified two options here. She can pay down her mortgage or salary sacrifice into super. She's left out the, maybe I should invest it somewhere else. Mm. Um, and the, the mathematical answer is that salary sacrificing in super is going to yield a much bigger lifetime return. So if you take a $1,000 of after-tax income and pay it down on, on your home loan with a 30-year home loan to go, that's going to generate about $1,600 in lifetime interest savings, giving you a total return of $2,600. Whereas if you put that into super, you've got $1,300 working for you on day one because of the way that tax system works. And based on an average historical super return of you know, 8% or something, that would turn into $14,000 when she turns 60. Now that's... And she's not missing the money anyway because it's being allocated that's to That's right. So that sounds like a, a no-brainer, but it comes with a couple of downsides. So the first is that you don't get it back till you turn 60 or potentially more, given how, how young she is. Yep. So if the money is earmarked for retirement savings and she knows she's not going to need it between now and age 60, that's a great strategy. But you know, if she's looking potentially future to take time out of the workforce, um, that money might be better used to fund her living expenses when she's on maternity leave or to fund the education for the kid 
in which case either paying down the home loan or investing outside super will give her a better answer. And this is the difference between higher returns and better returns. Mm. Well, there you go. Thank you, Vince. Thank you, Vince. (laughs) Thank you so much. We'll finish up with a couple of comments from the Facebook group. And remember, if you want to join the Facebook group, you can do that. And while we've still got you, if you do listen on Apple Podcasts, we'd love a little five-star review. That would be delicious. Are there any other sort? There's a... There's a one star. Mm-hmm. A lot of people like giving a one star, <laughs> which is fine, whatever. Erin, uh, it says just how it ended up for me. She saved her emergency fund. Then she saved over 20% for a deposit on a house. Then she split her savings 50% for property, including principal place of rever- residence, 25% extra super, 25% shares. That way, my investments are a little more diversified. Mm-hmm. And Looks like a beautiful balanced. I just love that. Balanced, I wrote it? on the Facebook group. Is she a Sagittarian? I don't know, but didn't they just change the? <laughs> she might have been last week, and then NASA changed oh, okay. it. Uh, did you see that, Vince? I saw your post. Yeah, I, yeah. I hadn't realised. Yeah, NASA found another star sign and no. put all. They reset all the dates. <laughs> Hopefully, that doesn't mean I'm a Gemini. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, Ryan said. Um, even Dave Ramsey says put fifteen percent into retirement before paying extra to the home loan. But anything beyond 15% is like taking out a mortgage to invest. Do you guys agree? Yeah, I'm with Dave. <sighs> well, I mean, as long as you've got a home loan, I just borrowed money to buy my coffee this morning. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think you do need to be careful about taking that position that you'll just feel terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, it is true mathematically that every cent you spend is borrowed in that context. As long as you've got a mortgage, yeah. yeah. Um, but Dave's advice... Um, or Mr. Ramsey's advice, is um, American-centric in that sense. Totally. Um, because most Australians are already putting in 9.5%. And in fact, if you look at that as a percentage of your take-home pay, it's more like 15 Totally. So I would be nervous about cranking that up early in life, that I would really want to see you know, home loan under control, some investments outside super and then look at cranking up the super. And 15% is a big number to be earmarked purely for retirement savings. Mm, mm. And I'll finish with this. Thanks for coming on today, Vince. Thanks, John. Thank you, Vince. And Thank you, John. We will do another episode about investing inside or outside of super. But Catherine said on the Facebook group, she was excited for this podcast uh, and she's put tick emergency fund, tick housing at 20 to 30% of income, mm-hmm. tick don't let husband buy more AU Falcon utes or parts. <laughs> and I would like to say to you, Catherine, that's horrendous advice. Your husband needs to buy more AU Falcon parts and utes. Thanks, guys. See Thank you, you Thank you, Glenn. Bye. Thank you, John. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. Thank you.
If you're looking for a super fund that puts its members' interests above all else, choose a super performer, Sun Super. With low fees, strong investment returns, and great member services, Sun Super is Super Ratings 2020 Fund of the Year and has also been awarded by Money Magazine, CanStar, and Finder. Find out more at sunsuper.com.au forward slash M3. You can join Sun Super online in under five minutes. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.